Hey everybody, this is Dr. Sam Byrne, and we've got a great show today. I'm going to be talking about the effects of RK laser surgery on cataract surgery. Uh, I'm going to be speaking about some questions I had on eye clarity exercises, craniosacral, and can that help macular degeneration? I'm going to be talking about an unusual macular disease. And finally, what's going on when you develop cysts in your lacrimal glands. So stay tuned to the show. We've got a good one. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Sam Byrne, and I'd like to welcome you to another podcast. I'm really, really happy to be here, and uh, we've got some fabulous questions. So let's jump in. I'm going to take a question from Julia, and she is writing that she had... RK surgery about 15 years ago. She just had cataract surgery and a toric lens, which is a lens that corrects for astigmatism, was put into the eye as an intraocular lens. And now she's suffering fluctuations in her eyesight. And her eye doctor is saying that's because of the previous RK laser surgery. So she's asking me, is there anything I can do to improve at this point? Well, Julia, one of the things to note is that, first of all, whenever we have refractive surgery, we're changing the prescription in the eyeball, but we're not influencing the prescription that exists in the brain, the mind, and the body. I call this the uh, pre-surgical prescription, which is actually a lot stronger than the post-surgical prescription that just addresses the refractive error in the eyeball. So this creates a mismatch between the brain and the eyes, and eventually the brain wins out. In all of these uh, refractive surgeries, uh, this is the case. And then on top of that, when you get cataract surgery, so now this is another overlay that you're changing the refractive error in the eyeball. There's no question that there's going to be some confusion in the mind-brain as it tries to adjust to the surgeries. And my view on it is that As in any surgeries that we might have, we always like to do physical therapy. This helps us integrate uh, the the surgeries that we've had done, but we never talk about this with the eyes. And so my point of the story is, is that if you started to do the physical eye clarity program, I would actually probably do the one for cataracts, even though you've had cataract surgery, I think what you would influence is how the brain is adjusting to the changes in the refractive error in the eyeball. And there's a saying I like to use that 10% of seeing is in the eyeball and 90% of seeing is in the brain. And so the surgeries that you've had address the 10%, but the eye exercises would actually address the 90%. And this is very powerful because if you start doing the exercises, you're going to develop more self-regulation and control 
of how your eyes are listening to your brain. And another saying that I use is that seeing with the whole body helps take us out of the reaction of all of these fluctuations that we have. And that's simply, can I be aware of my body awareness as I'm looking out of my eyes? So one of the ways to reduce the fluctuation is to improve your visual skills, your tracking, your focusing, your visual coordination, your hand-eye coordination, your cognitive uh, visual processing. And this is where the eye clarity physical eye therapy exercises, I think would be very helpful in helping you reduce these fluctuations and get you to integrate the surgeries with your eye-brain body connection. So I hope that's helpful. Thank you so much for the question. All right, question two. This is from Lana, and she's asking about my yin-yang peripheral vision exercise. And she wants to know how it works. Um, some other questions she's having. Uh, what are the other symbols for? Should she just use the top two symbols? Uh, when you see Im Im three images, what does that mean? And should you keep staring at them? Um, and how often should you use the chart every day? Well, the yin-yang peripheral vision exercise helps develop a skill which I call open focus or soft focus. And it's the complete opposite of what we do when we focus on our digital devices. That's a hard focus. We're focusing hard at you know, 18 to 22 inches. And the skill set that we need to be able to do that efficiently is something called convergence. Divergence, on the other hand, is the skill where we're focusing through an object into a peripheral vision connection but this particular exercise is giving you the feedback that both eyes must work together. So you start with two symbols. You hold the paper up to your nose. You look through the paper. You push the paper away from your face. Voila, you see three yin-yang symbols. This means that both eyes are working together. Now, there are three other pairs of symbols on this paper because each set of symbols is stimulating and, and activating a different part of the retina based on the curves of the shapes of the symbols, the size of the symbols, the detail of the symbols. And one of the things that I believe is that if you can increase your visual versatility, that you become more broadband in your ability to stay focused and change your focus and do so with more ease, less effort, and then you have more sustaining power in your focusing abilities. Now, I don't like the word staring. I like to use the word uh, looking softly because whenever you say the word stare, you're tightening up the eyelids, you're holding your breath. Uh, so we don't want to create more stress and, and pressure. This is an open focus exercise. Now, last thing is how often should you do this? Well, I'd like to do this exercise for short intervals, you know, two to five minutes, uh, three and four times a day, because it's going to take that, that level of intensity to create a momentum to change your vis visual skills to improve your vision, because we're pretty embedded in our current visual habits. 
So the more times you can break up the, um, the baseline visual habits through these exercises, the better chance you have of not only improving your vision, but sustaining the improvement that you make. So I hope that's helpful, Lana. Uh, thank you so much for your question. All right, the next listener, her name is Trudy, and she is a craniosacral therapist. Love to have these folks on the show. And she is uh, working with somebody uh, using her modality, craniosacral therapy. <clears throat> and this person has early stages of macular degeneration. So she wants some advice on how she can use craniosacral to reduce the macular degeneration. Well, I love this question because, you know, it's always great to get um, interdisciplinary practitioners working together. And, you know, when we talk about the skulls, uh, the, the bones of the skull, uh, the skull is not one single bone that's fused. It's actually made up of many bones. Uh, the skull consists of eight cranial bones, and they actually protect the brain and 14 <clears throat> facial bones. Now, these cranial bones are meant to move. They're not supposed to be fused. And each bone has a distinct movement. And the spaces between the bones are called sutures. And they're filled with fascia, connective tissue, nerves, blood vessels. And one of the ways to measure health is to make sure that there's proper movement of the cranial bones. You know, if we're under a lot of stress, if we've, we've had head trauma, uh, these are reasons why these cranial bones either stop moving or there's a misalignment of the cranial bones. And this begins to affect different brain centers, the brainstem, uh, cranial nerves, spinal nerves, the cerebral spinal fluid. And it's important that the uh, cerebral spinal fluid has a good flow up and down the spinal cord, and it actually innervates not only the brain, but also up into the eyes. Now, the key bone here is the sphenoid bone, and it is considered by many to be the most important cranial bone, and it's the one that's found um, out of alignment the most. So when the sphenoid bone is misaligned, there's a vast array of physical and emotional issues that can come up. Now, the sphenoid bone makes up much of the floor of the skull. It actually holds the pituitary gland, and it affects the flow of the cerebral spinal fluid, which is produced in the brain, and it is crucial for nourishing our nervous system. Now, some of the symptoms to misalignment could be things like headaches, migraines, eye pain, hormonal imbalances, insomnia, symptoms impaired that affect our memory, sinus-related issues, dental issues, difficulties breathing, digestive issues, um, even things like ne neck and lower back problems. But one of the things I track in my cranial work is the misalignment of the sphenoid bone and how that affects our eyesight and vision specifically our eye circulation. And of course, we know that the retina has one of the highest metabolic needs of the body, and the macula has the highest metabolic need of the retina. 
And so when I uh, find a misalignment of the sphenoid bone, and I put that back into alignment with the occipital bone, which is the back of the skull, that's where our vision center is, uh, a lot of times this begins to create better circulation throughout our entire eyeball, but especially our retina. Now, I'm also looking at frontal misalignment, temporal misalignment, parietal misalignment, nasal misalignment, uh, cheekbone misalignment, the palate, the hard palate, which is the roof of the mouth, uh, the hyoid bone, which sits below the chin, and the mandible and the TMJ area. And these cranial misalignments have a really strong influence on our sensory motor systems, especially our visual system. So in craniosacral therapy, what we're doing is employing a very light but precise touch and encouraging a gentle readjustment so that we can unlock the cranial misalignments. And these corrections are usually pretty gentle, uh, and it works for young children all the way to the elderly. I would also consider maybe working with the liver, because we know in Chinese medicine, the liver rules the eyes. So this would be another support system. And finally, Trudy, I would remember the importance of the carotenoids lutein, zeaxanthin, and astaxanthin, because these nourish the macula. They protect the macula against the damaging UV and blue light, which can uh, signal the beginnings of macular degeneration. So I hope that's helpful. Uh, thank you so much for your participation. All right, our next listener is uh, Serena. Hi, Serena. Good, good day to you. And you've been following me on social media for a while. Uh, you're doing the farsightedness and astigmatism protocol for my eye exercise program. You're noticing vision improvement. And uh, you, you have a few questions about the exercises. So first of all, with the figure eight eye massage, your question is, should you apply any pressure around the eyes with the fingertips? And yes, it's very important to manually touch your eyelids and eyelashes. Now, it's a very, very light touch, so you're not pressing it all on your eyelids and eyelashes. But there's something about completing a circuit where you are connecting your proprioception with your eyeballs, something we never do. In fact, we're told, don't touch the eyes because it's gonna, the eyes are going to get damaged. Well, actually, when you start massaging the eyelids and the eyelashes, you are improving the lymph function, the circulation, and you're reducing the eye stress just by acknowledging the eye tissue in that area. Second question is about plus lens to blur. Uh, I guess what you're talking about is that you can see clearly um, out of your right eye, um, but your eyes are very different in terms of your right eye and your left eye. And it looks as though um, you're very confused about the prescriptions that you're, you're having. Uh, the right eye is a lot more farsighted than the left eye. And so you're wondering about this, um, this plus lens to blur and whether you should be doing it. Well, if you're farsighted, what you want to do is you actually want to use a minus lens. 
So there's an exercise on there called minus lens to blur. And so instead of using the farsighted prescription, you're, you're wearing the nearsighted prescri prescription. A nearsighted lens actually increases the muscle tone, which is perfect for farsightedness because the muscles in farsightedness become atrophied. They become flaccid because of the magnification lens. So using the nearsighted lens and processing through the blur, when you take the lenses off, or the lens off, if you're doing each eye separately, your eyes are going to have more resiliency in their focus, and they're not going to be as farsighted, especially if you're consistent and you do this minus lens to blur every day. I think that uh, if you do that, uh, you're going to move off of the farsighted prescription even more, and it's one of the techniques I use where I stress the eyes as a way for you to discover more balance. And you know, sometimes stress is actually a really good thing. And in this case, that's exactly what I'm doing by having you use the minus lens to blur. So I'm so excited that you're getting changes and uh, keep going. Uh, as your eyes get better, you can go back to your eye doctor and dial down your prescription. And you're definitely on the road to improve your vision. All right, this last question today is from a listener who's suffering uh, cysts in the lacrimal glands, and she wants to know if there's anything that can be done to prevent this condition. Well, this is a very um, interesting uh, phenomenon. It's actually called a lacrimal gland cyst, and it can occur either in the lacrimal gland area or the lacrimal duct. And the lacrimal gland is a, uh, a gland that exists in the eyelid that is responsible for producing the aqueous part of the tears. So in developing this cyst, it's, it's a benign condition characterized by a fluid-filled cyst in, a no, in association with normal lacrimal tissue. Uh, the etiology is a bit idiopathic, although... There's some researchers that are connecting this particular lacrimal cyst to something called trachoma, also bacterial infections, maybe another reason. Uh, and the, the way that uh, uh, you get rid of this is by surgery. Unfortunately, with surgery, uh, many times uh, the cyst can grow back. So I think the key to remember here is there's a very strong inflammatory response going on in this area of the eye, topically. It's also affecting the collagen health, and uh, there's probably oxidative stress in there as well. So definitely adding MSM to the mix, uh, homeopathic eye drops. I would do the eye bright tea with the compress that I talk about. These would be things that could address the cyst topically. And then I would take a look at your diet. So, you know, are you eating an anti-inflammatory diet? Lots of antioxidants, uh, include a lot of trace minerals to increase and improve collagen health, getting enough fats and oils. So that's another way to reduce inflammation. Certainly, you could try some things like acupuncture and craniosacral therapy, improving your lymph health. You know, sometimes when you have these, uh, these cysts, 
the fastest way to get rid of them is actually just to have them uh, surgically, surgically excised. But in the long run, if you can work with this systemically, metabolically, uh, changing your lifestyle, improving your diet, reducing your visual stress, adding many more nutrients that I, I speak, I've spoken about, uh, these would be ways that you could uh, begin to address the progression of the lacrimal cysts. It's a great question, and uh, I don't have a definitive answer, but th those would be the directions that I would go. Well, that's our show for today. Wow. Great, great participation from everybody. So until next time, take good care. You're listening to a podcast with Dr. Sam Byrne. To learn more about his seminars and workshops, visit his website, www.drsamburn.com. The Byrne Method is a trademarked signature of Dr. Sam Byrne for his workshops, seminars, books, and DVDs. The information presented in this podcast is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose for this podcast is to provide information for educational purposes only. Dr. Byrne and his guests have no liability or responsibility to any person or entity for loss, damage, injury caused, or allegedly caused through the information, exercises, suggestions, explorations, or written responses presented in this podcast. Dr. Byrne is not a medical authority and his guests are not qualified to diagnose or treat any disease or health problem. This podcast is not a substitute for medical care. Dr. Byrne's information is only his personal opinion. If you have any health problem, please seek medical care for whatever condition you may have.